No matter what the numbers look like for Nicholas Harper at the end of this coming season, there's no doubt that he's going to have a big impact on South Carolina's offense. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for the latest headlines and potential storylines on South Carolina Gamecock athletics. I am Andrew Lyon, the host of this podcast, and you can find my written work over on Gamecocks Digest on SI.com. Thank you so much for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen or watch here today. We are free and available both on YouTube and and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. Nicholas Harper was the crown jewel of the 2023 recruiting class for Shane Beamer and South Carolina's football program. And there's a lot of things to point to in terms of the reason for why he was the crown jewel. He was a five-star prospect. Only the seventh five-star prospect South Carolina's landed in the modern recruiting era. He is looked at as a unicorn when it comes to his athleticism and overall size. And that size and speed that he brings, and also just his sheer overall presence, is going to help open things up for South Carolina's offense this upcoming fall. In terms of his best trait that he is going to bring to the field immediately for the Gamecocks, it is the speed that Nicholas Harper possesses. Harper was clocked at 10.29 seconds in a 100 meter dash when he was back in high school. I say that to say that this time equates to a 4.29 40-yard dash time. That is moving, to say the least. There are very few football players that you find being clocked with that kind of speed. And I'm pretty sure this would automatically make Nicholas Harper the fastest player on South Carolina's entire football team. Even though there's a few track guys that are also on the squad. Now, when looking at Nicholas Harper's speed, what's the best way that South Carolina's coaching staff can utilize this sheer speed. Well, there's no need to really overcomplicate things here. South Carolina's offensive coaching staff, specifically offensive coordinator Dow Loggins, he just simply needs to send him on go routes on the regular. There's no reason to make him run a bunch of double move, hesitation type routes, especially when he is going to be not completely brand new to the position, but it'll be his first ever season playing wide receiver solely instead of splitting time between both offense and defense. Now, what is this going to do to a defense? What is Nicholas Harper's speed going to do for an opponent? Well, even though he is a bit raw in terms of wide receiver specific skills, Harper is going to draw a lot of attention from a defense Every time he is out there on the field, mainly due to his speed, you just cannot basically brush a guy like that off to the side when he is listed at six foot five, 225 pounds, and runs basically a sub 4 3 40 yard dash. Even if he's not a finished product, 
you cannot take the chance of just basically saying, yeah, we think we're going to leave him one-on-one. That's going to be a massive mistake for every opposing defensive coordinator that decides to do that unless you basically got an all-conference or all-American type of defensive back lining up against him. Now, what is Nicholas Harper going to do for South Carolina's offense overall? Well, the first thing that I thought of is this. When Nicholas Harper is out there on the football field for South Carolina's offense this fall, who is the wide receiver that's going to benefit the most? It's going to be Juice Wells, Antoine Juice Wells. Because Antoine Juice Wells, with what all he did this past season and all the hype and anticipation surrounding his senior campaign this upcoming fall, there is no question that opposing defensive coaching staffs are going to game plan a lot more for Antoine Juice Wells, especially if South Carolina's receiving core is viewed as a receiving core that is a little bit top-heavy. But when Nicholas Harper's out there on the football field, again, we I just mentioned it, you can't just leave him in a one-on-one situation. you got to at least have a safety somewhat shaded over to that side of the field. What is that going to do for Juice Wells? It's going to leave him some more one-on-one opportunities. At the least, they can't just basically crowd one half of the field in terms of sheer numbers in their defensive secondary. They're going to have to split up their personnel a little bit more to cover more ground when Nicholas Harper's out there on the field. Another thing that Harper's sheer presence is going to do, his skill set, It is going to open up the playbook more for Dow Loggins' offense. And there's going to be plenty of unique opportunities that are going to be offered to the first-year offensive play caller for South Carolina. Dow Loggins is going to be able to call more yak-type plays, yard-after-catch plays, basically plays where you've got a guy that's running a specific route and using other routes to try and make that one route a little bit more open than it usually would be. And thus, if Spencer Rattler throws, say, a drag route that goes for like five yards from the throw to where the receiver catches the football, they might have a chance to get 15, 20 more yards. That's a yak-type play. Nicholas Harper's athleticism is going to allow him to be a part of those kind of play calls. Where, again, if you're just sending him on a go route... That cornerback is not just going to sit there and let Nicholas Harper just run on past him. He's going to have to run along with him. That's one defensive back you don't have to worry about in that area anymore. Let's say maybe you got a Maureen Brown lined up on the same side of the field. Imagine the speed of those two guys running along side by side together on one half of the field. That could open the door for maybe, say, a tight end or maybe a wide receiver from the other side of the field to, again, just run an underneath route to that side, and then there you go. You have an explosive play that you have easily created simply because of the presence of Nicholas Harper. I mentioned sort of different formation alignments with Nicholas Harper and Amari Brown being on the same side of the field. What about Nicholas Harper and Trey Knox being on the same side of the field? Both of those guys are six foot five. Trey Knox is 250 pounds, or at least he was back in the spring. And Nicholas Harper, according to his recruiting profile, is listed anywhere between 225 and 230 pounds. That's a lot of size right there, but also a lot of athleticism between both of those guys as well. 
And now imagine this. Imagine South Carolina is in the red zone. They're looking to score. And with their wide receivers and tight end, they trot out Nicholas Harper, Xavier Leggett, Juice Wells, and Trey Knox. I think each of those guys are listed at six foot one or more. Xavier Leggett, I know, is six foot three. All these guys are like 210, 215 plus pounds. They can all handle physicality in this sport. That would be a nightmarish red zone formation for an opposing defense to have to cover. My overall point with going over each and every one of these different facets of what Nicholas Harbour could do for this offense, he is going to do a lot of things for South Carolina this fall. Even when he does not make plays himself, he is going to automatically make things happen for this team because he is going to open things up for everybody else just a little bit more. And again, it might not just happen immediately once he goes out there on the field, but eventually those little things are going to add up and you're going to have a big play take place for you. He's going to open up the playbook a little bit more for Dow Loggins. He's going to offer a lot more opportunities for Dow Loggins to be creative with the skill players that he has on offense. And at times, Nicholas Harper is going to be a godsend for Spencer Rattler, who I've not brought up to this point. But look, we've hinted at this already this offseason. This offensive line is going to have some struggles this year. They are. It's a transition year for this offensive unit. They are bringing in some really good young talent slowly but surely, but it is not going to turn over overnight. It's going to take some time. So you're going to have some games, Gamecock fans, we're going to sit there and you're going to be infuriated because this offensive line is quite frankly going to hold this offense back. But you send out Nicholas Harper on the football field with the speed and the size and just the overall God-given ability he's been given, South Carolina's going to have some plays where Nicholas Harper, he's going to make up for maybe what the offensive line couldn't do on the previous player or maybe a missed block by a running back on the previous play. He's going to make up for that at times. It's going to be like a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's going to happen at times with Nicholas Harper. We should not expect that as soon as he goes out there on the football field, but there's no question there's going to be a ton of things that he does for this team in 2023, even if it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. Now, Gamepack fans, I know that we are less than two months away from kicking off the 2023 football season. And I got to thinking when I was making up the script for this show, what are the games that the fans are going to be most intrigued to watch in 2023? I took my crack at ranking the top three games that I think you're all going to be interested to see. And I kind of want to see where we all compare with this ranking. We're going to dive into that in just a little bit more detail in a few moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. But before we touch on that, today's show is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs are the best shorts that you can get during the summer months. And quite frankly, really any month during the year. Think about this. A lot of shorts are made of really restrictive cotton. And those shorts make you feel uncomfortable and quite frankly, they just completely cramp your style. Bird dog shorts, 
They do the exact opposite. They fit you well. They're extremely comfortable. They come in multiple different styles. And you can wear these shorts anywhere that you go. And if you go to birddogs.com slash college right now and enter the promo code LockedOnCollege, you can get a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash college for a free Yeti-style tumbler. I promise you, once you put on Bird Dogs for the first time, you'll never want to take them off. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day in just 30 minutes. And thank you to all of you everydayers for making the Lockdown Gamecocks podcast your daily choice for South Carolina Gamecock sports coverage. All right. I know that obviously because South Carolina plays in the SEC and sometimes because of their non-conference games, the Gamecocks... They are definitely never short on really intriguing matchups. And the 2023 season, it might be the most jam-packed season that we have seen in the last several years when it comes to their marquee matchups. But I know that there's always just a couple of games that stick out more than any other to the fan base. So what I decided to do was to take, in my opinion, the top three games that fans are most looking forward to and rank them so... Let's start off with, in my opinion, the game that fans are most looking forward to for the 2023 season. And honestly, this one's not really a difficult one. In my opinion, it is South Carolina's annual rivalry matchup with the Clemson Tigers. South Carolina, they ended a long losing skid to the Clemson Tigers this past fall in Death Valley, where they defeated the Tigers 31-2. 30. It snapped, I believe, an eight or maybe even nine game losing streak against the Clemson Tigers, and it ended the Tigers' 40 game winning streak that they had up there in Memorial Stadium. Clemson underwent some turnover this offseason. They lost a lot of talented players in their defensive front, and Dapo Sweeney, my gosh, he actually decided to change with the times in a way, and got rid of his offensive coordinator, Brandon Streeter, and hired a new offensive coordinator by the name of Garrett Riley, who was the play caller, at least from a title standpoint, for the TCU Horned Frogs in their national title appearing run back in the 2022 season. So, Clemson fans feel like that because they got this new play caller in town, and also because Kate Klopnik is now going to be their starting quarterback and not DJ Uyangalale. Tiger fans are feeling like that they're going to get the Gamecocks back this year. That it was just a one-off game. And the Gamecock fans, I know, feel pretty disrespected about that. Obviously, I know that the first thing you're probably reminding them is, uh, well, we beat y'all last year 31-30, so quite frankly, we don't care what you say. But I know deep down, South Carolina fans want to see the Gamecocks win another game against their arch rivals. Obviously, you want to beat them every single year. But with everything that fan base has done over the past five, six, seven years, with how much they've rubbed it in your face, I know that South Carolina fans would love nothing more than to see the Gamecocks defeat their arch rivals for the second straight year in a row. And here's the thing. If the Gamecocks were to defeat the Tigers, 
nationally speaking, there'd be a lot of people that'd be questioning on just how much of a gap there is between Clemson and South Carolina. They're already starting to question just how big the gap is. They're saying that Clemson still holds the edge from a talent standpoint. But honestly, if South Carolina wins for the second year in a row, then what can you say at that point? You say that South Carolina has pretty much tightened that gap. Maybe now they're dead even on the field. Who knows? But I know that's probably the game that the fans are most looking forward to for the 2023 season. Now, in terms of the disrespect factor, that leads me into the second game on my list. And that is the game against the Tennessee Volunteers on the road in Week 5 this fall. We all know what happened this past fall. The Gamecocks' victory over Tennessee was probably their biggest win in several years, probably since the 2019 upset win down in Athens against the Georgia Bulldogs. Because, again, South Carolina, they were coming off an absolute debacle against Florida, and that's probably putting it kindly. And Tennessee looked like that they were a shoe-in at that point to appear in the college football playoff. And then that Week 12 matchup happened in Williams-Price Stadium. And South Carolina completely ruined everything for Tennessee. So now this offseason, Tennessee, again, they lose some key pieces. South Carolina does lose some key pieces on their end as well. And now volunteer fans, they're just thinking that they're just going to be able to show up this season and that they're going to beat South Carolina by 30, 40 plus points just because Heupel's going to be all angry and he's going to want to try to run up the score. That's not the way that this sport works. It's never been the way this sport works. You don't win just purely based off emotion. I know South Carolina fans, again, just like what I mentioned with Clemson, they would love nothing more than to see the Gamecocks go out there and just validate what they did last year. Now, is anyone going to sit here and say that South Carolina is going to win by like 25 plus points again? Uh, No, I don't think any Gamecock fan is going to say that. But are we seriously going to sit here and just completely write off the Gamecocks? National media, are we going to sit here and say that there's no shot South Carolina can beat Tennessee? What if South Carolina just was the team that sort of cracked the code, figured out a way to at least slow down Tennessee's offense? And again, I'm not going to sit here and say that they got the deepest skill position groups on offense this next year, but you got Antoine Juice Wells coming back. Xavier Leggett, what if he ends up breaking out this year? What if Nicholas Harper ends up adapting to the college game faster than maybe we all expect him to? Trey Knox, what if he goes off? Joshua signed behind him. Spencer Rattler's back. I mean, South Carolina's got the skill players. There's no doubt about that. And Tennessee's defense, sure, they're not a bad unit, but I don't look at them as like a Georgia where they can just rack up sacks on top of sacks in their defensive front. I don't, I don't see that with the Volunteers. So my overall point is, I think that South Carolina fans, without being completely cocky, I think they're sitting there thinking to themselves, we can beat Tennessee again. Even if it's in Knoxville, we can beat them again. And so for that reason, and again, just a simple fact that Tennessee fans, quite frankly, have just been completely disrespectful, at least a good portion of them, regarding South Carolina this offseason, I know the Gamecock fans would love nothing more than to see South Carolina go into Knoxville and defeat the Big Orange once again in 2023. 
And then the last game that I think SAFCON fans are looking forward to the most this upcoming fall is the first game of the season against the North Carolina Tar Heels. And again, this sort of involves the same sort of reasoning that I've used for some of the other games. There's a disrespect factor here. Look, the Gamecocks obliterated North Carolina two seasons ago in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Just destroyed them. Outcoached them. Outplayed them. You name it. North Carolina, ever since Mac Brown got there, really and truthfully ever since his second season there in Chapel Hill, they quite frankly have not performed up to expectation. Sure, they made it to the ACC title game last year, but for what? To get blown out by like 30 plus points to Clemson, who lost to South Carolina and Tennessee to end the season, basically? You gave up 60 plus points to App State? Really? You went 9-5. and five. That defense, I think, gave up 30-plus points in five or six different games. You lose your top two receiving targets, and your offensive coordinator is gone, but yet North Carolina's the betting favorite. If you want to check out the show where I just completely annihilated that talking point, you could go back to last week's slate of shows and find that there. But, yeah, South Carolina, in my opinion, is going to have a chip on their shoulder coming into this game. No question about that. And I think Gamecock fans, again, there's a lot of excitement for this year. Also, got a lot of momentum from this offseason. Spencer Rattling, Juice Wells, again, coming back for one more year. A really good recruiting class. And just an overall feeling that, you know what? Maybe it's just time to have more belief. Even in the face of bad circumstances. Even when you think... This team might take a step back, or maybe this is just an opponent that's going to get the better of them. You can't count them out anymore. South Carolina has very quickly reached that point under Shane Beamer. And because of that, fans, they're strapped in now. Whether it's going to go good or bad, they're going to go through it all. And so, with what could go right for them in 2023, it's a big reason why this week one game against North Carolina means so much. And that's not even including the old bad blood that both of these schools have between each other. Regarding a long time ago when South Carolina used to be a part of the ACC. So, a lot of reasons why North Carolina, in my opinion, is definitely a matchup that the fans are looking forward to. But that breaks behind Tennessee at number two and Clemson at number one on my list. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the football team to this point on today's show. But let's talk about Sapcon's baseball team because there was some big-time news that dropped this past weekend. And that news was this. First baseman Gavin Casas announced that he was going to return for the 2024 season. This is a big deal for South Carolina's baseball team. And the reason why it's a big deal is because South Carolina is essentially getting their three most potent bats back from this past year's squad. Here are the players that are going to be coming back in some of the stats. Ethan Petrie batted 376 at the plate, had a 1.204 OPS, hit 23 homers, freshman record for South Carolina, and batted in 75 runs. Cole Messina, South Carolina's all-conference catcher, batted 307 at the plate with a 1.043 OPS, hit 17 homers, and batted in 65 runs. And now Gavin Costas is coming back. He batted 259 at the plate, 976 OPS, 
19 homers, which was second on the team, and 56 runs batted in. The main core of Savcon's batting lineup has returned for this next season. And here's the crazy part. That's not even including some of the other guys that are both being added in and are also coming back for the Gamecocks. Kennedy Jones from North Carolina Greensboro, probably the biggest name that they've gotten out of the transfer portal to this point this offseason, batted 355 for the Spartans this past season. 1.038 OPS, 14 homers, and 44 runs batted in. North Florida's Austin Brindling batted 386 at the plate. Just unbelievable right there. 1.040 OPS, three homers, 31 runs batted in. You throw in Talmadge Lee Croy, Carson Hornung, Will Tippett, and possibly high school signings like George Walco and Lee Ellis. Y'all, this lineup could break records for South Carolina in 2024. It really and truly could. Now, what does this signal possibly for the Gamecocks this next spring? South Carolina, look, we all know what LSU did in 2023. We know about how deep that batting lineup was, how it seemed like everyone in their batting lineup could hit the ball out of the yard, and that they had Paul Skeens, who was a legendary college baseball pitcher for them this past year, put up absolute Hall of Fame numbers, and they had a couple good pitchers behind them, but it was their batting lineup that carried them all the way to a College World Series title for the most part. I think South Carolina's got a chance to be the 2024 version of what LSU was this year. A deep batting lineup, especially in terms of power, but you also have some good pitchers at the front of your staff and enough guys that just got some nasty stuff behind them that can help you go all the way to Omaha, go to the finals, and win the entire doggone thing. Because, look, in college baseball right now, at least with the way things unfolded in 2023, and who knows if they change up the equipment or these baseballs before this next season. But as of this current moment, winning a College World Series title no longer means that you need to have an exact formula that would have won you a title, say, 10, 12 years ago. Which, that formula that I'm referring to is having a deep pitching staff Good situational hitting and great fielding. If you had those three components, and if you still have those three components, that will take you very far into the postseason. And it used to win you a national championship. It's how South Carolina went on their run back in the early part of this previous decade. But right now in the sport of baseball, you're not going to get by with that now. If you don't have a powerful batting lineup that can just score basically any time they've got someone coming up to the plate, then you're not necessarily in trouble, but it's going to be harder for you to win. So for South Carolina, I love the way this batting lineup is looking and shaping up for this next year. Y'all, we might run into another situation where... What happened in 2023 happens again in 2024, which is some of the guys that were starring or at least playing a lot of games for this team this past season have to fight and scrap to hold on to their spot 
in 2024 because there's just so much depth on the team. I think, honestly, in terms of just at the plate, the depth is going to be better this next year. And after losing Will McGillis and Braylon Wimmer from this year's squad, that was hard to envision, admittedly. But this lineup is deeper. And that is scary for every other team in the SEC. And quite honestly, y'all, we are at the point where South Carolina, they've got to make it back to Omaha. They have to. They cannot continue this drought. And again, I'm not trying to say that to take away from what they did this past season. I thought they had a really good year this past year. Even though I know some fans out there were upset and disappointed that they didn't make it to Omaha at the end. But this conference admittedly has gotten a lot deeper. It is tougher. Think about this. Tennessee has made it to the College World Series twice out of the last three years. Right now, people are saying Tennessee are, is a better college baseball program than South Carolina. I know that just hurt every single one of you hearing me say that. And honestly, historically speaking, uh, the answer is still no. South Carolina is the better program. But at some point, you can't just keep relying on what you've done in the past. You've got to do some things in the present to back that up. Florida. Florida should not be considered just above and beyond a better program than you. Right now, they probably are. Vanderbilt, same deal. South Carolina should not be consistently middle of the pack in their own division in the SEC. They should be competing to make it to Omaha at least every couple of years. That should be what they are doing. And for too long, unfortunately, it hasn't been that way. In 2024, with the way this lineup looks right now, I think that they are bound to change that. I'm not going to make it out like Gavin Costas was just the missing piece because I was going to sit here and say this lineup could go to Omaha even without Gavin Costas. But with him coming back, this lineup now has a deadly quartet of power bats and some guys around them that's going to complement them really well along with some really good young studs that could come to campus. This is an Omaha group with their batting lineup. Now the question is, How's their pitching staff going to look? It's flip-flopped completely from what the questions were in 2023. Because again, you're still going to have some games where the pitching staff, they are going to have to hold up their end of the bargain. And it doesn't have to be every game. LSU proved that this past season. You could just win a title by having just an ungodly batting lineup. And South Carolina, they possess that heading into next year. So if they just get maybe some of the pitching question marks figured out in terms of who their weekend stars are going to be and who are sort of their go-to guys out of the bullpen, which already got a couple of those really good relievers back, y'all, this next season could be a lot of fun. It could be a ton of fun. And I personally cannot wait for next baseball season to get here after football. But with that being said, that is going to do it for today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I hope y'all thoroughly enjoyed today's show, as always. What are your thoughts about Nicholas Harper's skill set and what he could bring to South Carolina's offense? What he could do for this coaching staff? What games are you looking forward to the most in 2023? And what do you make of Gavin Casas coming back to South Carolina for another season and what it does for this baseball team moving forward? 
Let me know your thoughts on all those topics down below in the comments section if you watch today's show on YouTube. Or, if you listen to today's show on an audio podcast app, you can shoot me a direct message on Twitter at A-Line underscore SC, and I'll try to respond to you as quickly as I see your message. And once again, thank y'all so much for tuning in to today's show. Have a great rest of your Monday and a fantastic start to the work week. I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.